This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and your one-stop shop for optimizing all your office technology. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Is it caught? Is it caught? Oh my goodness, it's caught! DeAndre Hopkins caught it! He caught it for a touchdown! You've got to be joking me! Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Kyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the guys who cover the team. Drilled by Simmons. Isaiah Simmons is balling. Bring it on, bring it on. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. You know, if I know one thing here on Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, Paul Calvisi, Pauly Podcast. If there's one thing I've learned about Darren Urban and Kyle Odegaard, they can be, um, shall we say, discerning slash demanding, especially around the holidays when they can be very difficult to shop for. So what do I do? What do I get these two fine gentlemen? I'm thinking, gentlemen, Something that Calvisi Consulting is in the middle of launching. You guys ready for this? I know the election season supposedly is over. So to fill that gap, that void, instead of a a MAGA hat, I'm going to go MOGA. Make offense great again. How about that? How about a nice Cardinals red ball cap with a flaming acronym MOGA. Make offense great again. Kyle, you had the initial reaction, so you're first up. Would you or would you not rock that around town? Uh, I'm going to do my best coach speak and try to uh, deflect this comment, this topic as much as I can and just say no comment. Non-committal. Okay, he's trying not to hurt my feelings. Darren, um, as I've learned on these road trips, uh, we'll cut to the chase and let me know exactly how he feels in three, two, one. Darren. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know. First of all, I'm very excited that you were even considering getting us uh, gifts. Um, <laughs> you know, I, but uh, I well, probably it is very would low not wear cost that. because it's out of the Calvisi Consulting Factory. It would be low cost, albeit it's the thought that counts, Darren. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Um, yeah. I've heard that. Uh, yeah, I probably wouldn't wear that. Gotta be honest. Okay. All right. Well, uh, you know what? I will cut to the chase then. What's wrong with the offense? What do the Cardinals do? Is that an easy answer? Is it an ultra complex answer? Is it going to take the entirety of Cardinals underground to figure it out? Because, you know, if nothing else, we are a football think tank here. Let's face it. I mean, come on now. Uh, Darren, come on. What says you about the offense? We know the first nine games, everybody now, they average 400 plus yards a game. And the last three games, it's been declining every single game until this last game. Or what do they have, Kyle? What was the total of yards? 232. 232. Yeah. Before you can fix the problem, you have to diagnose it. What is wrong? Honestly, I mean, I I can't say for certain, clearly. I mean, I I think we can see some of the symptoms of it. I mean, we've been talking all these weeks about Kyler Murray getting outside and and making some plays with his legs and and hurting teams that way when they're playing man-to-man. And um, you know, you, you get to the point where, you know, with these five man fronts and these mush rushes and, and we said this last week, Paul, I mean, we said they've got to find a way to make teams pay for stacking up against them in a certain way. And in this case, it seems to be making sure the run game itself and in spe- uh, specifically Kyler Murray running isn't going to hurt them or scrambling isn't going to hurt them. So they, they don't play man to man. They don't. Uh, they don't necessarily blitz. Again, they must rush. I mean, if if I got paid a lot of money uh, to figure that stuff out, I, I would. That's the first place I would go. I'm not that guy. Um, but I'll be honest. I'm a little surprised it's taking as long as it has to get some kind of answers. And for them to come off the two struggles offensively that they did against Seattle and New England, and then end up with their lowest uh, yardage total, I believe. Uh, the second slowest yardage total since Cliff Kingsbury took over and the lowest this season. I mean, it's, it's surprising. The Rams do have a very good defense. I, I do think that the Rams, they saw quite frankly, I think the way it's gone, the best defense they've seen all season, but 
they they need to be more effective than that. And and we're seeing the the pain of what's going to happen if they can't be more effective than that. Yeah, in the second half, they put did put up three touchdowns against the Rams defense that had allowed two touchdowns in the second half all season long. But it was that first half when the game was truly in question. And, and yeah, they got within three points twice, and then it got to be a 10-point deficit, and they ended up losing 38-28 in that second half. But the first half was so confounding to go four straight possessions, three and out, Kyle. I never thought we'd be talking about that. Yeah, and I mean, they – the box score says they got a 59 yard touchdown pass on the first possession, but they would have been three and out on that one, if not for the face mask. And you can thank a blown coverage for the score. So it's not like that was this beautiful drive where everything was clicking. It was kind of one blown coverage where they got that touchdown. I just feel like certainly every team at this point is going to do this blueprint of let's keep Kyler Murray in the pocket and make him beat us with his arm and make the running backs beat us with their legs. And the tough part about the Rams game was the Rams were playing two high safeties. And a lot of times the box was only five players and the Cardinals still could not run the ball. And when you're not doing that, I mean, we can, you can criticize Cliff Kingsbury all you want, but when a team can't effectively execute against a five man box, there aren't many schematical answers from a play calling standpoint. So I think if, if teams are going to line up like that, you have to run the ball. And on the flip side, if a team is going to stack the box and play single high safety, Kyler Murray has to show that he can throw it. And right now the Cardinals aren't doing either of those. So I think, I think we know what's going to happen in these last four games. And you're either going to get the light box look, or you're going to get the single high and the Cardinals just have to show that when they have a numbers advantage in a certain area, that they can be efficient that way. Are there any analytics you guys have seen or any sort of analysis, the X's and O's of to what percentage zone coverage Kyler saw against the Rams? My eyeball test, just my own gut feeling watching the game and doing so from the front row. I'm like, you know what? He's not nearly as effective against zone coverages as he would be man to man. Now, is that a byproduct of the overall scheme? And as you mentioned, more than one Cardinals player has talked about how they're employing these five man lines. And the effect that has is to tie up every single offensive lineman. It eliminates the combo blocks. Then they bring the linebackers up to lurk around in the A and B gaps and snuff out any sort of run by the running backs also. And then they crash the edges with Kyler. To Darren's point, you got to make a defense pay for that. There has to be some sort of counter. I think we're all surprised hasn't materialized yet. But at the same time, it just seems like, guys, that against some of those zone coverages, in this case, too high a lot of – lot of the time Kyler seems to be holding on to the ball longer than in other situations once again that's just an observation and a gut feel I think I I think naturally that when you play man-to-man it's going to be easier for a quarterback to dissect it because you know where most of the guys are going pre-snap when it is zone I think it's more confusing for a quarterback and I think that's part of the game plan defensively is you're going against a young quarterback who hasn't dissected defenses in the NFL for very long. So yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if teams are doing more zone. I have not looked at the numbers, but that would make sense to me as you try to confuse him as much as possible. And especially in that Rams game, when you can let your edge defenders keep him in the pocket, then you say, okay, we, we can only get interior pre- uh, pressure and that's, a lot of times hard, but we, we have Aaron Donald and he can do it. So it was, a, I think, a good matchup for the Rams defensive line. I know that, you know, and I'd have to go back and look at the game at Seattle because it's now getting a little bit too far in the rear view for me to remember exactly. But I do remember, Paul, when we were in New England, I, I did feel like that game, Kyler looked hesitant on some of his throws it looked like he double clutched a couple of times I don't know if he was seeing exactly what he wanted to see or was comfortable with what he was seeing and I do feel like there was a little bit more of that against the Rams too now it was harder to tell I felt like the Rams pass rush it's funny we talk about the must rush and they didn't get out uh, they didn't necessarily allow him to get outside to scramble but at the same time I felt like the Rams did a nice job putting pressure on him a good chunk of the time. And that just goes to show how good Aaron Donald is and how good that defensive front is where you can make sure you get contained and still get pressure up the middle. That's a horrible combination right now for any team, much less a team like the Cardinals that are struggling. But um, I I do feel like he's not real sure of what he wants to do right now, but I, I don't know how much of that gets laid at 
his feet, how much of that gets laid at the receiver's feet. Um, you know, they're, they're just struggling so much on so many areas. It would be interesting. I'd love to know what would have happened on that Dan Arnold touchdown if the Rams hadn't completely blown the coverage. If one guy sticks with Dan Arnold and they double cover DeAndre Hopkins instead of triple covering him, does that play even produce anything? And if not, I mean, they didn't have any plays over 20 yards against New England. They had two plays of over 20 yards uh, against the Rams. One was the Dan Arnold play where he doesn't get covered. The other one was a 27-yard run by Kenyon Drake in the waning you know, minutes of the fourth quarter when it didn't matter anymore. I don't I don't see how this team is going to be able to survive like we talked about earlier in the season after the Carolina game where they had all these completions for no yards. You need some of those chunk plays and uh, talking to Justin Pugh, he was he feels confident in the chunk plays come after you get some kind of rhythm as an offense. And it's a, a chicken or the egg thing right now. But I really think that they've got to find a way to not be in a position where they've got to grind out 10 yards at a time over three downs to get these first downs and keep drives going. I mean, they've got to find times where they can get, and it doesn't have to be 20, but 15, 20, 25 yard chunks once in a while, you know, they've averaged over five of those plays a game and when they've won and, and you've got to be able to do that to survive in a lot of ways in this league. Other than the 59 yard touchdown catch and run by Dan Arnold on the blown coverage. The next longest pass play was the 12 yarder on fourth and 12 to Keyshawn Johnson. Correct. And the longest by Deandre Hopkins was 10 yards. And I mentioned that because in terms of seeing the field on the pick six by Troy Hill, based on Deandre Hopkins reaction, he was open. And instead the ball went towards Andy Isabella and double coverage. And uh, as Wolf said on the air, that's about as easy a pick six as you'll ever see in the NFL for a defender. So once again, that calls into question to Darren's point. Is that, is that on Kyler? Is that on scheme? Is it on the inability to adjust to the adjustment of what the defenses have done, especially the last three games? Because we all hear it kicked around. Is this a slump by Kyler? Is it a regression? Is it an overall waning in performance uh, by the entire offense uh, you know in terms of we know Cliff Kingsbury takes a lot of the blame and culpability himself that accountability with the play calling okay for once do we actually fully believe him yeah there's so many different directions you can go and obviously the probable answer is maybe a little bit of everything Kyle yeah I mean I, that's that's where I feel like it is but I, I do feel like um, Kyler Murray has has done a lot of the the quick passing game, and he's certainly accurate and gets that ball out fast. But I go back to Darren's point earlier when you're getting a four yards and then four yards, and you're in those third and threes and third and twos all the time. I mean, that's a manageable distance, but when you're doing it four times, five times a drive, eventually you're going to throw incomplete and you're going to be in a tough spot. So I agree there where you, you need to get those chunks. You need to get a first down on first down or get yourself to second and two to, to really get that offense going. And, you know, you, Kyler Murray doesn't want to put the ball in harm's way and he doesn't want to force it down the field. But I do think there's that fine line where maybe sometimes you do have to throw into those tighter windows and, and take those chances. And maybe it results in more incompletions and more interceptions. But if you look at the aggregate and your offense is more explosive, that might be uh, the, the type of risk you want to take to have overall a better level of efficiency. And, and I would say too, you know, there's this, there is nuance to this. I would agree with Kyle, uh, Kyle in terms of there are times when I think Kyler might have to be a little bit more aggressive, more than he might be comfortable with most of the time. But there's a difference between uh, doing that when DeAndre Hopkins to DeAndre Hopkins, who's covered closely and Andy Isabella, who's covered closely. You know, you, you want to make sure that the guy at the other end is somebody who can make that play, uh, not only make the play, but make sure that something bad might not happen. And, you know, usually the upper echelon receivers are those guys that even if they can't get it, they're going to make sure that something disastrous, the, the worst that happens is an incompletion. So I, I do think they've got to find a way. Hopkins is a great example. I, th I think they got to find a way to work them in a little bit earlier. And, and I, I do feel like there's, there's got to be something there. And again, you can't just do whatever you want based on what the defense is doing to you, but there's got to be something there that's beyond just a, you know, a six yard pass on the perimeter to DeAndre Hopkins and hope he gets some yak and maybe he doesn't. And I mean, he had eight catches the other day, but 
uh, his biggest, his most impactful play other than the short touchdown catch was the pass interference. I mean, most of those catches didn't mean a whole lot because of the way the Rams were playing. And I just feel like they've got to find a way. I mean, Christian Kirk can't have one catch for two yards, especially when Larry Fitzgerald wasn't even out there. I mean, where's Christian Kirk? I mean, how how does that happen? Yeah. What's that a byproduct of? Is that from the quarterback not finding him, not seeing the field? Is is that something else that's more fundamental to the offense? As far as D-Hop is concerned, did I see someone tweeted out Basically, uh, they charted his routes from the game, and they were all contained, the left side of the offense, and all in a very small box. They were curls and outs and all within 10 to 15-yard range. Is that accurate? Did you guys see that? Yeah, they weren't. those weren't all his routes. Those were him being targeted in the game, and they were all in the very same area. Um, so, I mean, obviously on the Dan Arnold touchdown, he was running across the field, 20 yards right. downfield, and on the well, pass interference. The- those were on the ones he was targeted. Correct. Okay. On the and the pass interference wasn't on there. That was twenty five yards down the field. So he he didn't just run those small routes, but when he was targeted, that's where they were. And that and I'd have to go back to see what his routes were otherwise. But that goes back to Kyler Murray not pushing it downfield as much. And that's a great point, Paul. With if Keyshawn Johnson's twelve yard catch was indeed the second longest. There's just no way a passing game can survive when your second longest throw in a game is only 12 yards. They they have to get those intermediate game passes going. I mean, we can talk about the deep ones and those are great, but to me, an NFL offense lives and dies on that intermediate passing game and the Cardinals just don't have it right now. And we can talk about Kyler's legs all we want, but you need to have that intermediate passing game to be efficient in the NFL. What's funny to me is, Early in the season, when we had this discussion after the Carolina game, that day, it felt like everything was totally horizontal. Like, it felt like almost every pass was within five yards of the line of scrimmage. I never was left with that feeling against the Rams. I didn't feel like, okay, you're doing everything horizontal. Yet, you still weren't getting the plays downfield. That just, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but that's just, I mean, you, I felt like you could easily point to, okay, you, you can't just make everything horizontal like they did against the Panthers. When, when you have what happened against the Rams, I don't know if that makes it better or worse that you weren't getting the kind of production that you wanted to. And, and we'll see what happens. I don't know what the weather's supposed to be like in New York. I do think New York has a fairly solid defense, uh, relatively speaking. Obviously, Russell Wilson feels that way right now. You know, I don't, you know are you going to be facing the better defenses down the stretch here? I mean, Philadelphia's playing terribly, but – mostly that's offensively driven and their defense has had their moments and they're going to have to play the Rams again. They got to play the 49ers again. I mean, they, they got to find a way to do something here. Most of the reports I've read, and there have been numerous ones that have said that Russell Wilson was confused by the Giants defense. Well, if the Giants just confused Russell Wilson, then, oh boy, uh, you know, you start gripping. My boxers start to bunge going to New York thinking, what, what is the Cardinals offense? How are they going to perform against that Giants defense? And you're right, Darren, having gone to Carolina, I, I have a bubble screen burned in my brain. It just seemed like there were so many wide receiver yeah. screens in that game. And I can't think of a single wide receiver screen. Most likely I'm wrong. But against this latest Rams game, I can't think of a single wide receiver screen. So it seems like, okay, the Cardinals have adjusted. They have changed certain aspects of the offense. But really, what's changed for the worse? And Kyle, you had this number before the game, and you updated it after the game. Isn't it predicated on on the number of times Kyler runs the ball, and isn't eight the magic number? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's the magic number. It certainly has been, you know, in the, this season when he's ran it eight times or more. I think they're six and one, and their points per games at around thirty-two. And when he's run it uh, fewer than eight, they're zero oh and five, and the points per games around twenty-two or 20, something like that. So it's not a, there's not a perfect correlation, but I do think there is certainly something there where going back to last year too, when Kyler Murray runs, it opens things up offensively. And Cliff Kingsbury said as much uh, in training camp. I remember writing a story about that aspect of it. And he does like to get Kyler Murray out and we'll see what they do. He was pretty coy on Monday about changing anything up. Uh, I asked about maybe design rollouts if, if that's possible or if, out of the shotgun that's not as tenable as somebody like Jared Goff doing it or the Niners doing it. And he he said he wants to play to the strength of his personnel and sounding like he didn't really plan on doing it, but it certainly seems like 
you'd want to get Kyler Murray on the move a little bit to give him simpler reads and also to get his legs back into it, where if there's nobody open downfield, he's already on the move and he can look down and maybe make some plays. So we'll see what they do if there's any huge adjustments. But from the way Cliff Kingsbury was talking, it sounds like he feels like this is the best system for what they're doing offensively and he's going to stick with it. The other stat is that when Kyler rushes for 31 yards or less, the Cardinals are now, and we've been updating this seemingly every week for the past month, they're 1, 10, and 1. That's, so, and yeah, it'd be great to see him get on the move. Obviously, he's capable of that. How about moving up in the pocket? Darren, is that unfair when I say, you know what, I think of Derek Carr throwing the game winner against the Jets. He stepped up in the pocket. Patrick Mahomes threw a game winner this past weekend. He stepped up in the pocket. Uh, even even um, in the Monday night game, you know, Josh Allen. Now, Josh Allen's 6'5". Okay, so is it realistic to think that Kyler has to learn and evolve to the point where he's stepping up in the pocket a little bit more as opposed to retreating or going sideways? I do think – I think there is something to that, especially from the aspect of I think he's still learning to be a quarterback in this league and what's going to make him most successful – I don't know, and, and it doesn't excuse it. I mean, you're going to have to learn how to do it against everybody, but, you know, I don't, I don't know if playing the Rams and Aaron Donald, who's pushing right up the middle, is the game where you're like, well, why are you stepping up in the pocket more often? Um, because that, that can be a dangerous combination there. Uh, and we certainly saw Aaron Donald, you know, do his duty a couple of times there. But I, I think that's, I think there, there is something to that once in a while. I think it's, it's tough for the offensive lineman to not necessarily always know exactly what Kyler is going to do. Is he, is he just going to spin out of there every time? And then when, once that happens, he's kind of on his own. And, um, and if you're mush rushing and you're spinning out over some inside pressure and then there's a guy right there, it makes it a lot harder. So I, I think, I think there are, there's some passing game fundamentals that he still needs to get better at. I think there's still some passing game fundamentals that I, I think Cliff Kingsbury can still work into this offense at some point. Now, is that now? I know I've heard you talk about it on the radio, Paul. I've had some questions in the mailbag. You know, I get that you want to install. There's some different stuff. I know I know when I'm looking at some of the things the 49ers and Bills did on Monday night, I'm thinking, wow, I, I'd be interested to see Kyler on doing some of those plays. But that's not going to happen now. That's not going to happen in three practice days before you play the Giants. That's not going to happen. You just there isn't time to prepare for a game and install a bunch of new stuff. I just and feel comfortable enough to run it in games that you're going to be able to execute it. So, I mean, could they change some things in the offseason? Possibly. But I think right now they've got to find what they need to do within how they're doing it. And and. I mean, if you, I mean, you guys can disagree with me, but I mean, I, if, if you are really, if you're good at what you're doing and, and you have to assume that Cliff is good at what he does or, or he thinks he's good at what he does and, and Kyler is good at what he does, you should have the antidote for some of this stuff within what you're already doing. You've just got to figure out what it is and you got to execute it. Yeah, I would think so. And, and, and you know, my point, and, and Wolf disagreed with me a little bit, was that there's no way in week 14 you're installing all these boots and waggles and, and these design rollouts when we haven't seen them all year. When your quarterback seemingly has never been under center his entire life from high school, college. Wolf's like, well, we've seen it in the preseason. Yeah, you can count it on two hands how many times we've seen it in the preseason. A lot of times that's just for the sake of showing stuff and putting it on film. Preseason 2019. Exactly. So, you know, anyway, I, it's risky. If they're going to go and, and, and attempt something like that and incorporate it, great. You're basically going to get one live practice day to do it these days, which is a Thursday. And even that's three-quarter speed for the most part. So do you put that on display against a red-hot Giants defense is playing pretty well and just bottled up Russell Wilson? I do like Wolf's point that Russell Wilson sort of get hit this wall the middle of his second year, and, and defenses kind of did something similar to Russell Wilson and try to bottle him up in the pocket and turn him into a pocket quarterback. At least that was always the game plan. And obviously he's navigated through that and become a, a perennial MVP candidate, even though he's <laughs> for some reason has never gotten an actual vote. But you know, obviously it's worked out for Russell Wilson. So I think there's light at the end of the tunnel. It's just can they do it over the next month? 
Yeah, and I'd be surprised if they went under center and eye formation and doing bootlegs like that. But there's there's versions of the shotgun bootleg. Uh, Lincoln Riley has has done a, a pretty decent job of inventing a shotgun bootleg that uh, coaches are probably been watching, especially as the NFL turns more into the shotgun game. So there's ways to get Kyler Murray outside the pocket. I don't think you're going to completely scrap what your offense is, but after three games of this and knowing that a lot of teams are going to try to hem him in, it wouldn't shock me if against the giants, there's more things to get Kyler outside. Maybe there's more design runs. If his shoulder is feeling good because when he was running, especially the Washington game stood out when they called a couple design runs that were super effective. That, that's a big boost to the offense. And I mean, you want Kyler Murray to be able to sit in the pocket and dissect a defense and get those yardage, just throwing the ball regularly. But at some point, I think you're going to have to manufacture some stuff if, if it's not there quite yet. And you're right, Paul. I think it's early in his career. He's in his second season and he's learning. But at this point, you got to do what you can do to get this offense moving, knowing there's four games left and the playoffs are still very much in the picture. So I think they might have to manufacture it a bit down the stretch and, and maybe overhaul a few things in the offseason. But right now, you're doing anything you can to get going offensively. And I understand you know, it always kind of feels like Kyler bristles a little bit when you say, you know, can he get it done without running the ball? And I, I think he likes the idea of being known as a pocket passer and he feels like he can be a good quarterback, even if he doesn't have to run. And that may be true and it may, all, and that's all well and good, but I feel like at this point, um, the questions are still going to come until you show it. And I understand why he wants to, why he feels the way he does um, or, or wants to kind of be viewed in a certain way. But, but we, the, when we've seen success, it's because he's run it at least some, he throws the ball obviously very well in those, but, it, but he, he's able to run the ball too. And, and if he would like a reputation of being a guy who doesn't have to run to do well, then we've got to see some games where that happens. And we have not seen that yet. You know, you guys, we do these out-of-market radio hits, right? You go on the phone with a sports talk radio station and the opposing city of that team that week. And I can't tell you how many of those I did last year. And I always got the same question about Kyler Murray is Michael Vick. And I'm like, no, he's not a running quarterback who can throw. He's a pocket quarterback who can run. Unfortunately, the running aspect has been eliminated here over the last few games. So is that to, you know, we talk about being aggressive. Is that because he's not as willing to be aggressive, not only pushing the ball downfield with his arm, but in terms of running it after the shoulder injury, perhaps? Is that a byproduct? See, to me, when they go into empty, for example, and if Kyler's not willing to run it, then it's just too predictable. Then the defense all of a sudden doesn't have to worry about the run game whatsoever, and they go empty, and I just think it's infinitely easier for a defense in key critical situations when the offense goes empty. Now, maybe they go with a pistol. If you're telling me they're going to innovate something for this week, I'd love to see the pistol and maybe restore the threat of play action, even out of the shotgun. Because a lot of times a play action fake out of the gun and there's a running back flanking him. It's just sort of a, and eh, you know, it's sort of half-hearted kind of fake the handoff. Nobody's really buying it. It doesn't suck up the linebackers. It isn't convincing at all. If they went with more of the pistol, for example, Kyle, at this point, I think that's more feasible, whether it's more likely or not. I have no idea. I mean, I think it was convincing when you were running the ball effectively, but when you're not running the ball very well, I, I think the linebackers naturally aren't going to respect it as much. And I, I, going back to the the idea of Kyler not being willing to run, I think in the Los Angeles game, I didn't see any instances of him not being willing to. I just think they did a re really nice job of consistently staying in their pass rushing lanes and not giving him anywhere to really go. I didn't, I didn't ever see any huge gaps where he could have shot through and he, he turned it down. I, I just think they did a really nice job and you, you hate to, Hey, you hear that coaching cliche so much that you have to give the other team credit. But I do think part of that game was Los Angeles defense is very good. I think the Dolphins and the Rams team speed from what I've seen live have really stood out. And I think that's part of it. Like you, you go back to the Jets game, 
they mush rushed and kept Kyler Murray in the pocket, but they couldn't get any penetration. So he had forever to sit back there and dissect the defense. And he had a really big game throw and he averaged more than 10 yards per attempt through the air. So I think it's, it's that, that kind of balance where if he has time to, to, check out the field and throw it well, I think he can do it. But when he's pressured and that process is sped up, it's a little harder for a young guy. And, and even though we're talking about Kyler Murray as a pocket passer and trying to do it, I think back to last year when Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen were still having their issues in their second season. So this isn't an uncommon thing for young quarterbacks. We've just been spoiled by what Kyler Murray has done early in his career that it's a big difference now, but it's not completely unforeseen historically. And like you mentioned too, with Russell Wilson. Here's the other thing I should mention on Cardinals underground brought to you by Pacific office automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. At halftime, there was a right before halftime, there was a long conversation between Kyler and Cliff on the bench, one on one. Normally, Cliff never sits down, ever, but the two of them were seated uh, as the Rams had the ball and they were putting together a drive to take that 14 7 lead. And they had a long conversation. Right before that, Kyler had a long conversation on the other side of the sideline. I've never seen him sit on the defensive part of the sideline, just him and D Hop looking at the tablet, looking at overhead shots. Sure enough, at halftime, Cliff shared with Jen Hale, the Fox sideline TV reporter, which she relayed to me in the halftime conversation with the TV sideline reporter, that Cliff told Kyler, don't be afraid to go at Jalen Ramsey. Because what did D-Hop have in that first half? One target? And what they do? On that final possession of the first half, after they had that conversation, there was a defensive pass interference. They drew that. And then all of a sudden, D-Hop got the production in the second half, albeit didn't get a bunch of chunk throws, but yes, he did get catches, et cetera. So I think that's part of the process. Maybe you heard so much about Jalen Ramsey and what Jalen Ramsey has done against some of the premier receivers. I get it. Um, But at the same time, Cliff reminded him. I also wonder if a reluctance to step up in the pocket was because of 99 and if the reputation preceded him there. Uh, It's just me thinking out loud. And it also makes me wonder, you got a Giants defense, and albeit it's playing pretty darn well, it was a fairly no-name defense. And maybe this is the week where Kyler just lets it rip, Darren. And he's like, you know what? Here we go. I don't recognize any of these names. I don't fear any of these names. I'll play without fear, and, and let's just let this thing rip. I, that would be a best-case scenario. But I think some of that was at play. And, 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 you know, sometimes young quarterbacks have to – they have to engage that themselves and find out the hard way or not. I mean, we had, we've set the bar so high for Kyler because of some of the things he's done and because it is so easy. Um, how do I explain this? I, I think in some ways, I mean, he, he's not a nobody. He's a, he's a brand that I, I think carries with him a certain cachet that if he becomes a superstar quarterback on a consistent basis, which I think we all feel like he can – reach that level um it, it, he's got the it factor because of who he is and how he carries himself and the name and all this stuff um he's, he's not gonna have to worry about that but that also to me raises expectations maybe a little bit higher than if he was somebody else I mean even Josh Allen who was a top 10 draft pick I, I feel like people were willing to say he wasn't going to be any good. I mean, you're going to talk about a top 10 draft pick really a lot, but at the same time, I I think things are different. And, you know, if Kyler Murray hits superstar status, I don't know how much credit he's going to get per se to get there because I think everybody was just kind of assuming he was going to be that guy. Whereas like Josh Allen is playing so great right now. And everybody's like, Oh my God, look at this dude. He's turned into this crazy great player. Um, and, and I, I think that's also something that could weigh on Kyler Murray. I mean, how much is he putting on his own shoulders that he should be that good already? How much of this is that impacting him? How much is his growth being impacted by everything that a young quarterback is going through in this league right now um, because of protocols and because of the way things are set up and because you didn't have the offseason? Not that it would derail him altogether, but – you know, maybe if he has this offseason, maybe he's that much further ahead. Maybe some of these things he would have sorted out. I, I don't know. Um, I, I just feel like, um, again, not to, to say he it's acceptable to have all this just be 
it is what it is because you are in the playoff hunt and you were five and two and six and three. And there were expectations set because you could make this push for the playoffs. But I, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I'm not one of those people that all of a sudden has this big uh, concern that everything is derailed. I, I, before the season, I thought this team was an eight or nine win team and they're kind of in that vibe right now. And Kyler Murray, I thought could have a really good season. I didn't expect this to be his, super season now as the season went on early I, I started changing my mind and maybe I shouldn't but I'm like you're maybe you're just going to face your best defenses down the stretch and this is just how it was going to be after you got through 16 games but I, I do like your point about how we've been conditioned to expect instant success from Kyler I, I would I would put myself in that category I I'd have to raise my hand to you moment he became a starter in high school what do you do he won a state championship big school Texas high school football as a sophomore in high school, what he became a starter at Oklahoma. What did he do? He won the Heisman. They went into the playoffs, et cetera. But if you go back to early in his career, he did have some struggles at Texas A&M. So look, have the expectations been unrealistic to a certain degree? Sure. But we've seen it already halfway yeah. through this season. That, that's the other thing. It's, it's not just him. It's the Cardinals offense that has stalled, that has hit that wall that, that Kyler mentioned. So, I think the big question, once again, coming full circle here, Kyle, is you know whether there is an adjustment to the adjustment that defenses have made. Is there something they can do to restore the potency and the scoring of this offense that could actually have them continue a playoff chase? Yeah, I definitely feel like we're at a, we're at a pivotal point at this season because I, I mean, I understand that expectations did get really high when they got to five and two and then six and three. But I, I think with the way the defense played to me, that's been the big surprise that they've been that solid all season long. And to me, the, the offense hasn't performed to what I thought it would, which I don't think they were unreasonable expectations to think this offense would be top 10. And right now they're around 13 in football outsiders DVOA. So I, I feel like they haven't quite lived up to, to what a reasonable expectation was for them. But I also think maybe by the time we get to the end of the season and as this schedule gets a little softer, as Darren said, when we look at it in aggregate by the end, maybe they're going to be a pretty decent offense. Maybe they're going to get to top 10 if things turn around. Maybe they've made a pretty good growth, like Darren was saying, from five wins. Maybe you get to nine and you're nine and seven. And then everything was kind of what we expected. Although it was a roller coaster along the way, they might not be outside of our expectations by the end of it. And right now it's, you're certainly at the depths of, of concern because of what they've done offensively. But I, I thought as much as people want to get mad at what Cliff Kingsbury said, this is a cyclical league sometimes. And there are definitely ups and downs in the NFL and the offense has not looked good. And we'll see what happens, especially in these next two games against the Giants and the Eagles. If they perform poorly offensively, then yeah, to me, it's a pretty big disappointment what they did. But if they turn it around, get back on track and, and things turn out okay, then you can say, okay, they played a good Rams, a good Rams team. And that was a blip. And Kyler Murray hurt his shoulder. And that was a blip. But this team is still on a pretty good um forecast and, and looking okay. So, so we'll see in a few weeks. Um, I'm not ready to close the book either way on it. I do think they need to perform better, uh, but I, I think we'll definitely know more after these next two games. And here was the other problem against the Rams is that, look, your defense is much better, but they can't withstand an offense that is so anemic that the time of possession is so lopsided. So when the Cardinals cut it to 17, 14, they score D hop gets a touchdown after that fourth down conversion and all of a sudden the Rams come back and, and there's Jared Goff and he gets the QB sneak and the touchdown. So they go up 10 again, but wait a minute, there's the fumbled pun and the Cardinals punch it in two plays later and they're back within 24, 21. Then all of a sudden the Rams go down the field again and they make it 31, 21 at that point, gentlemen, in the fourth quarter time possession was basically 35 to 15. So yeah, that's not going to work. That's just not, you know, so at, at that point, especially for a depleted defensive line that would face 79 snaps that just at some point it's going to give and it did in the fourth quarter so yeah I mean I don't I don't think the it helped at all the time of possession but I, I do think it's a concern that 
the pass rush has has not been there at least at that game and maybe of late I watch the road games on television so it's a little bit harder to see exactly what's going on but without Chandler Jones Marcus Golden is getting close but he's not getting those sacks Hassan Reddick has fallen off a bit Devon Kennard's not playing much so they don't have a consistent pass rush presence and, and that's a big issue because this the secondary can be up and down but it's not a elite secondary at this point so I do think the defense deserves, deserves some blame I mean there's injuries that have hit it so you don't put too much on them but I mean you gave up 31 points defensively to the Rams and in that second half they really moved the ball well and if they got that fourth and goal you're up to 38 points given up so it wasn't a great performance by the defense by any means. Number two in sacks right now, Dennis Gardeck with three. Yeah. <laughs> What's he played? Two dozen defensive snaps all year. I, I, in fact, I made reference to you, Kyle, full disclosure on the, on the broadcast said, we need to create, I, maybe there is a, a, an analytic, if not, uh, Kyle, Kyle Odegaard needs to create this. I said to Passion Wolf on the air, um, sacks per defensive snap. What is the ratio, the productivity? Because Dennis Gardeck has to be up there with three <laughs> And it's enough defensive snaps you can count on two hands, basically. It's probably the best in NFL history. <laughs> it's just um, – And that's – look, you knew you knew as soon as Chandler Jones went out, I, I feel like there was there might have been a little bit of mirage there because I think they did do a really nice job right when Chandler first went out about – I mean, Hassan Reddick was playing really well, and then they got Marcus Golden. He came in with a lot of energy. But – I mean, the reality is, is this is what a pass rush looks like when you lose one of the best pass rushers in the league and you don't have a second guy that really does that a lot. I mean, I, I don't think the pass rush is underperforming for who they are. They just don't have those guys. And that's the issue. And then do you do you blitz more? Do you do? And, and against the Rams, it it's so tough. I mean, we were we were talking about this for the offensive side and what Kyler Murray might be able to do. But man. The, the, the number of times that it feels like the Cardinals get sucked in on the bootlegs, the play-action bootlegs, and don't have anybody back out there on the backside when Goff twirls back around and either has an easy throw or, or some more down the field. I just I wish they could learn to, to deal with that a little bit better because it just feels like every time it works. I'm at the point now – and. I was not this way over the first half of the season. Uh, look, I, I wasn't the guy screaming, Isaiah Simmons needs more snaps, needs more snaps, because he wasn't better than Devondre Campbell. But at this point, it, I think it would behoove the Cardinals defense to figure out a way to get 48 on the field for the majority of the snaps on defense. I'm not sure how. I'm not sure where. All I know is the two leading tacklers in that game against the Rams were your two starting safeties. And to Darren's point, when you got a quarterback on the move, I just I think of Isaiah Simmons. I think of that athleticism. I just think if you're going to be innovative and throw a whole bunch of stuff at the offense, then be innovative enough to figure out where to play the rookie on most snaps instead of certain pass rush and passing down situations. I'd love to see 48 there out there on a more regular basis. That's, that's my only Monday morning quarterback for the week uh, from Cal VC consulting Kyle on Isaiah Simmons. Yeah. I mean, and, and it does feel like the the Cardinals defense is a little short on on impact playmakers right now. There's there's not a bunch of guys. I mean, Buda Baker kind of has that special look and special speed to him. And Isaiah Simmons certainly has that when he's on the field. Can you live with any mistakes he makes? Because they, you're kind of living more dangerously when you've got him out there compared to a, a Jordan Hicks or a Devondre Campbell who – might not have the athletic upside, but they know exactly where they should be on basically every play. So it's more risk reward, but I think a, a lot of people, you know, the fans would love to see Isaiah Simmons out there full time. And when he played like that against Seattle, he was, he was an impact player. So I could see them trying to pump it up down the stretch. It, and especially, you know, I can understand why they don't want to play him in base and they've kind of had to play a lot of base the last couple of weeks because both the Patriots and the Rams can go heavy personnel. Um, but maybe you do just put him in in base packages and, and hope he can hold up against the run. Then again, I think the Cardinals will probably beat the Giants just because they have Chase Edmonds. So, you know, it's the Chase Edmonds factor. You're going to New York, you got Chase Edmonds. I think that moves the line in Vegas at least eight or nine points. So I'm not a gambler, but I would say just the Chase Edmonds factor in New York based on his game, the Fordham guy at the Giants a year ago and then at the Jets earlier this season. I mean, Darren, are you with me? Chase Edmonds, you already, who's writing the byline 
who's the sub story? What do you call it? What do you the shoulder story? What do you call it in the print? Bar. What do you call it? Not the bar. The secondary I, I will, story. I will say this. I, I think, uh, especially after the way Chase Edmonds played um, last year in, in New York and, and having that in the running game, I, I think the Cardinals would kill for a running game, uh, running performance like that this week with everything going on. It would go back to what Kyle was talking about, which was I think some of the things would be helped if their running game could provide something to make defenses think about so they're not always – King on the passing, and and clearly it would be a good story for us, just like you said, Paul, because Chase Edmonds in the New York area is always a good thing. And you start to wonder, I mean, he's, I think he's clearly your second most explosive skill player. I don't know if that's much of even a debate at this point. And I do think the more you can get him the ball, whether it's carries or, or targets, he makes things happen and he's turned into a pretty solid receiver it's it's crazy the catches he just comes down with very naturally and we don't even think twice about him contorting his body and making those catches so I think anytime I mean if you can get him up to 12 14 touches a game I think that could help the offense as well yeah Christian Kirk should be I think the second most productive right. weapon and, and obviously that hasn't materialized right. what about Larry Fitzgerald let's wrap it up with this on Cardinals Underground brought to you by Pacific Office Automation proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals the Fitz factor Darren and he's been activated from the COVID list what do you think just just the specter of Larry and number 11 being out there even though he doesn't have a touchdown catch all year but just the attention he commanded I wonder if that trickled down and helped out other guys on the offense more than we realized till we saw the absence of Larry you you do wonder about that a little bit I mean this this three-game slide and the offensive issues did begin in Seattle and Fitz did play in that game um, but it does feel like they've missed him the last two games, even though he may not be the receiver he once was. And that's just on the field. I can't even speak of what they might be missing off the field. But at the same time, I don't, I don't want to get ahead of myself over what we should expect from Larry Fitzgerald either. I mean, uh, there's a lot of guys who are coming off this list, and if the reports are true and he did test positive, we don't know how much this hampered Larry. Um, you know, Devon Kennard said he didn't even have any uh, symptoms or anything. And for whatever reason, he hasn't been put back in the lineup as much since he came back and he hasn't made as big of an impact as maybe beforehand. We'll see where Larry is in terms of his stamina um, and, and in terms of what he's able to do. But I do feel like he can help out there on a lot of levels in terms of getting everybody on the same page just to be the leader that you need. Um, I, I do think that that could potentially help them. Yes. You go for four on third down in that first half. You just think, man, if Larry's if Larry's in the mix, maybe you're more successful, especially on third downs. That's just my gut feeling on that one. So Kyle, last question. Do the Cardinals need to make the playoffs this year? Do they need to make the playoffs this year for the evolution of Cliff and Kyler and this team as they continue to build? How critical is that? Do you think? I think it's important. I mean, when you're right here and you have that chance, it's you don't want to waste these type of opportunities. I mean, you, you think this is a team that's growing and the trajectory is going up, but you never know on a year-to-year basis how injuries are going to affect you. And I think considering the way they've played at times, this can be a pretty good football team. And you'd certainly like to get in and give yourself a chance to maybe catch fire and get the offense really rolling. So I don't think this is the the type of thing where you say if we went eight and eight, I don't think anybody would be extremely happy about that, especially the way they started. And I I think they're not a title contending looking team, certainly right now and and borderline playoff team, but they've shown in spurts that they can hang with some pretty good teams. And I, I do think it's important knowing where they were three weeks ago at six and three. If you don't make the playoffs this season, it's it's going to be a pretty tough pill to swallow. I mean, if you can somehow get into the playoffs and then you get healthy again along your defensive front with Jordan Phillips and, you know, the Rashard Lawrence's and you get a rotation going back there, you know, it's uh, and we all know what that means. We all know how different playoff football is. And just for a young team to experience that and and for Larry to get Larry back into the postseason, too. That's just, you know, if, if I'm that Cardinals locker room. You know, in the absence of Larry, let's do it for Larry. Now that Larry's back, do it for Fitz. Get him into the playoffs at least one last time in his career. That, that enough to me is my Harry High School, you know, rallying cry and Paulie pep talk. 
for uh, Wait, one last time. Are you season. are you saying that Fitz is going to retire after this season? Are you announcing something? Did I miss <laughs> something? No, absolutely, absolutely not. Um, but Larry, if you are going to retire, uh, you can hit me up. Uh, I think you, <laughs> yeah. I, you might still have my number. You know, good, what I mean? good, but, good luck with that. You, yeah, you, you know what? You, you didn't ever ask me. Well, uh, just as a quick side note, I know he's not a Cardinal, but uh, Scottsdale's own Daryl Bevel, who I went oh. to high school with, gets his first win with the Lions. That's right. That's a well, big. I, I, you know, did you did you text your your buddy Daryl Bevel about how he blew the uh, engagement announcement for his uh, for his two daughters? <laughs> yeah, that was pretty. Funny. That one. That was pretty funny. Yeah, that was funny. You know, uh, um, no, I I have not talked to him, but uh, we have mutual friends. Everybody's really happy, and uh, and it would have been interesting if he if he had ended up being the head coach of the Cardinals once upon a time, and not Bruce you know? Arians, because he did interview with the Cardinals. Hey, it wouldn't be the first time that the Lions went with an in-house candidate and the Ford family. So you, you, your, your buddy might be the head coach of the Detroit Lions effective this offseason. You never know. Chaparral class 88, baby. And by the way, if his daughters, you know, don't follow football, then they didn't see it in the press. It's sort of like my, my sister-in-law who knows not about sports watching the Monday night game, talking about how the Buffalo Bulls uh, were playing in the Cardinals stadium, kept calling, calling them the Buffalo Bulls, uh, as in Chicago Bulls, as opposed to the Bills. So uh, that's what I have to deal with on my end. So there you go. Spe- speaking of the Bills and going back to the Cardinals in the playoffs, like, I mean, right now things are bad and the sky is certainly falling, but the Cardinals beat the Bills and they beat the Seahawks and they were right there with the Dolphins. I mean, they've played some good teams and done well. So Talking about the playoffs, like if the Cardinals turn things around and make it, I don't think they're the easiest out for these top teams. I mean, we're looking at it through a very narrow lens right now, and I don't always mean to be so optimistic, but I do feel like looking at overall, the Cardinals have had some pretty good moments this year, and if they can turn it around, then get into the playoffs and be competitive in these games. I mean, they've had two bad outcomes this year against the Panthers and now the Rams Beyond that, they've they've played some pretty good football. So we'll see where they're at in a few weeks. But you know, I, I think they still can turn it around. And and if you get in, then I think you you can still be competitive in the playoffs too, depending on the matchup. Obviously, Kyle has not heard us talking behind his back with his new nickname, Kyle Three Quarter Glass Three Quarters Full Odegaard. So <laughs> yeah, I oh. mean, it was a lot easier to to have the holiday cheer before this last week of getting three <laughs> outplayed. But it's I mean, in aggregate, they're still still a pretty decent team. I'm okay with a, uh, some optimism. I get plenty of the negative stuff. Again, <laughs> outside any, sources. If you get any critics or haters or doubters, just tell them Chase Edmonds. That's all they need to know. Chase Edmonds in New York. That's enough. Boom. Cardinals seven and six, and it's a three-game season. That'll do it for Cardinals Underground.